0: Welcome to Let's Talk Adoption, bringing you the latest information for families seeking to adopt, adoptees, and women considering placing their child for adoption. Today, we have an attorney with us. Diane Michelson is an attorney that's been with us for a long time. She practices in California. I'll give you some information about Diane. She has been in the adoption field for what seems like her entire life. She, has been, um, she had this calling for her, and uh, she's been an adoption therapist, a social worker, and an attorney. She also has served on many legislative and policy committees. Diane has been the president um, of the American Academy of Adoption Attorneys and the Academy of California Lawyers. She herself is an adoptive mother. In uh, 2006, 2006, she was honored to be recognized by the United States Congress as an angel in adoption, which is a very wonderful honor. And we're really pleased to have her on the show today. Welcome, Diane.
1: Thank you very much. It's my pleasure to be here.
0: Well, we have so much to cover here. You know, you've been in adoption for for how many years now?
1: Probably about 35 years.
0: Wow. So you have got a wealth of information just doing primarily adoption. You know, what kind of changes have you seen in adoption in the last 25 years?
1: Oh, I think the biggest change I have seen is the openness aspect, that families and birth parents get together, meet each other, there's not that fear that each side is gonna do the other in somehow, Mm -hmm. or that the stigma would be such that they'll never get over it, Mm -hmm. Uh, and that people really get together in benefiting the child and and looking, putting the child first and dealing with their fears and eradicating them.
0: What kind of uh, uh, myths do you think people have regarding uh, confusion. Children are going to be confused that um, you've seen. Oh,
1: I think the real worry is what will this child do when they find out that they might have two mothers and Mm -hmm. who will be the real mother. Mm -hmm. And I actually have a great story to tell you about this. Uh, there was a family that had an open adoption, and this was an adoption where the birth mother had ongoing visitation about three times a year, and everybody was really comfortable with it. And one afternoon, the birth mom and the daughter were out in the yard running and playing, and she fell, and she knocked the wind out of herself, the little girl. And when she was able to get some breath back, she went, Mommy, Mommy, and her birth mother mother who was out there came running over to her and the child looked at her and she said no not you my real mommy oh my and i think that the story illustrates there is no confusion yeah. in terms of who's mom mom is yeah. the person that is there on a day-to-day basis mm-hmm. and birth mom is an important person in that child's life but not the same as the day-to-day mom
0: right she is the mom that birthed me the, the tummy mummy and, yes. uh, and and very special too not to minimize that and, and oh absolutely and i would as a birth mother i would feel Really uh, proud that my child identified that way. Uh, that uh, she had bonded with the family that I had chosen for my. Family.
1: That was exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. That was exactly what happened.
0: Yeah, and I think that is is key, too. So you've seen a big change in the openness uh, of adoption. Anything else?
1: Well, there's another. When I first started doing adoptions, I worked for Los Angeles County Department of Adoptions, Mm -hmm. and at that time they had two separate waiting rooms. One waiting room was for birth parents waiting for an appointment, Mm -hmm. and one separate waiting room with separate entrances and exits on different sides of the building were for adopting parents so Mm -hmm. that they would not ever have to run into each other. And at that time, it was done to save face mm-hmm. because people were embarrassed about adoption and mm-hmm. people were embarrassed about placing a child for adoption.
0: Yeah. Do you still see a little bit of that now today, do you think? With I
1: see of it but Mm -hmm. it's nothing the way it
0: was before. I agree. I agree. I think that uh, we're seeing more and more openness and people being comfortable and you see it in the media all the time and uh, three out of five people are touched by adoption so I think it's becoming more prevalent with the infertility coming up too. You know, you've seen a lot of birth mothers. What do you find uh, is their motivation for uh, choosing adoption for their child?
1: speaking it's so that the child will have a better life than their life they are able to present to this child at this point in time so and I am mean, all is we-
0: loving it's a loving decision then
1: Yes. Yes, it is. And it's somewhat selfless because uh, a decision like that involves a real giving up of, of the child and, and in a lot of ways a loss. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And I think it's important. And, you know, today's topic uh, for everybody, if you just joined us late, is uh, birth mother's rights and answers to frequently asked adoption questions by uh, attorney Diane Michelson, too. And we're going to be giving out her website in just a little bit, too. Um, you know, the birth moms come with lots of different uh, variety of, of needs, and I've seen birth moms choose a family because they had ponies or they lived in the country or they uh, were a particular faith. Why do you see um, maybe birth moms uh, select a, a particular adopted parent over another?
1: You know, that, that's a hard question. It's almost like why does somebody select uh, man A to marry or woman mm-hmm. B to date instead mm-hmm. of the other one who we know might have been just really perfect? mm mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot of times it's really an intuitive hit. Mm-hmm that something in the family that they've selected really speaks to them. And if the, if I push people to say, but what is it? What is it? What is it? They'll give me an answer, but my feeling is it's really not that answer. It's
0: a gut feeling.
1: It, it really is a gut feeling.
0: Mm-hmm. And and uh, and a lot of times families struggle with that too because uh, they don't always understand why they weren't chosen and it can be difficult for them, but I just feel like there's, some families just meant to go with one child and, um, and so Their time will come too, you know, and and not.
1: Well, there's, but on the same topic for the family, if they have been in the pool to be selected for a long time and it's not happening, Uh one of the things I usually will recommend to the families I'm working with is let's change your photos. Yes, I, I agree a lot of times it's, the photo may be too dark or it may be out of date or uh, someone may be wearing a, a dress that is more questionable mm-hmm.
2: you know,
1: so there. There's lots of tweaks that can be made that even though the underlying basis doesn't change, it changes the feeling.
0: Well, I tell people, it's, I hate to say it's like your box of cornflakes and you can get the generic one or you can get the one and the same price as the, the Kellogg's one and one's more colorful and you can see it and it's appealing. And which one's me picked up first? Mm-hmm. And so if you have an unappealing photograph and you may be a really cute couple, but just a bad photographer or bad day, you know, whatever. So I agree, too. Tell me a little bit about um, some of these foundations. We have we people are always worried uh, about birth parents changing their mind. And um, I mean, we're going to ask about adoptive parents changing their mind, also. So, but let's start with birth parents changing their mind. I mean, what is that true uh, that you see in your practice, Diane? Um, because you've been doing this a long time. A uh, uh-huh. birth mo- parents changing her mind.
1: Well, there's different stages at which a birth parent may change mind, and you know, a birth parent is always a prospective birth parent until the papers are signed. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, there's really the parents. Right. So, um, I think from the time a birth At the time of matching, where the birth parent meets the couple and says, yes, I'm going to work with this couple, Uh, at that point, about I see about 8% of birth parents do change their mind. Mm -hmm. About 8%, Um, uh uh-huh. Yes, and that's, that's uh, they might just have said yes or, gosh, I'm really considering you, I'm really thinking about it.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: From the time the baby is born, or right around labor, let's say, uh, that's about 2% mm-hmm. that change their mind there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then it's about another 2% of birth parents who change their mind at the, well, let me back up.
0: After birth? Mm-hmm.
1: changed their mind after birth, yes. Mm -hmm. So in essence, when I tracked it, about 12% of birth parents who were matched with a family changed their mind, and that was the breakdown Mm -hmm. at where that happened. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. I wanted to compare that with adopting families from the time of match through after birth, and that number was 15%.
0: Yes, I agree, and people are shocked at that, but I think that's um, actually even smaller than sometimes I see uh, at Lifetime, but that's amazing because people, and what, what do they change their mind for?
1: I think they get to feeling like they're really not ready to adopt. They Mm -hmm. really want a child that's biologically related to them, or they... the stress of infertility and adopting is too much and they need to take a break and reassess Mm -hmm. what their priorities are. Mm -hmm. Um, I think sometimes just the reality really hits them and they get Mm -hmm. terrified.
0: Right, yeah. And I know that I wrote that story in one of my books, too, that, you know, that does happen. People, they see, a uh, you know, a, a... Tummy of a birth mother, and they go, "Oh my gosh, I want that! I want that!" And they'll uh-huh. go back and spend sixty thousand dollars in infertility to try to achieve it. Yes, and uh, which yes. is amazing. Um, after birth, after the child's been in the home, what type of percentage do you see birth moms changing? Boy,
1: very small, less than one percent.
0: Mm-hmm. So, but a total of about twelve percent, and I yes. think it 's good that people see this so that know it 's a possibility, and many times it has nothing to do with the adopted parents. It has everything to probably do most of the time with uh, the surroundings and the circumstances in the birth mom 's family you
1: know? I, I totally agree, and I think. Uh, a lot of those changes are if someone comes, an unexpected person comes out of the woodwork, mm-hmm. so to speak, and says, let me help you, mm-hmm. that a lot of people are, are hoping for the white knight mm-hmm. to come and save them, yeah. because it is so difficult to release a child. Even if you think it's absolutely, if the birth mother thinks it's absolutely the best thing in the world, mm-hmm. it's still incredibly difficult, and almost all of us work for pain avoidance.
0: Mm-hmm. right. And I think what happens, too, is we want to believe that that person's going to help us, but how often does that actually happen? And I know many times uh, the person that comes to the rescue to say, I'll help you, one of my questions to the birth mom is, has this person helped you in the past? Have they helped other people? Have they followed through? Yes. And many times, if they're honest with themselves, they'll realize that they haven't, and that's short-lived.
1: And that is one of the reasons where if the birth mother changes her mind, I will normally say to clients, please... Consider that this is what she's doing at this point in her life. Mm-hmm. Continue to wish her well. Mm-hmm. It may work for her, in which case you would want this child to have the best. But if it doesn't work, leave the door open so right. that she can come back.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I had a family one time that didn't do that, and they got very angry. And so when the birth mom came back, of course she didn't ask for that family, and that baby went to somebody else. Yes. And so I, um, and the same thing in my adoption. You know, uh, birth mom changed her mind, and I left it open. Very. And she called me five weeks later and said, "Would you?" please consider adopting him so i think you're absolutely right on that and it's it's a, it's a difficult time that hormones are flaring and there's people around and it's it's difficult um what do you think the average cost and wait time is for a um, for an independent adoption? And you do primarily independent adoptions with your practice, Diane, don't you?
1: I do a lot of independent adoptions. There are some times that we will process the adoption via an agency because it may be between two states.
0: Right, and okay. And
1: that state may have that requirement.
0: And, and before you even answer that, you do work with pretty much all the states. Um, you know, you,
1: I work with all of the states. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. And um, so we're going to – give us your website now, too, so if people are writing – down notes on here. How can they reach you? To
1: my website is family formation. One word. Dot com so okay. it's f a m i l y f o r m a t i o n dot com okay
0: all right so we've got that that's great and so again so you do some via agency depending off it's interstate or between two states or you can do independent uh, what do you think the the cost and that's so hard because it depends on the other state and the other attorney and and uh, home study fees and things but what can people budget uh, for adoptions do you think
2: today
1: well, there's a phenomenal range. I was speaking with someone this morning and I suggested that 90% of the adoptions are going to be between 15000 and 35000 not including extra fees to search for a child.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. And so they really want to do it. And there's the federal tax credit, which is um, um, going to end end this year. Um, We're hoping it will continue on. Uh, It's
1: likely it's going to be continued. My understanding was that it was sponsored to be continued now.
0: That's great. Uh, I, I hope so. And and that will help with uh, about, I think it's 11000 uh, little almost $12,000. And then uh, a lot of employers have their benefits, too. So that brings that cost down, but people should do that. So the other 10% um, are going to be because of other complications, multiple birth fathers. Um, what would be the other 10%? Uh,
1: might be uninsured birth mm-hmm. where... There is no assistance available to cover the birth expenses. Does
0: that happen very often though? Because that's very no. rare. No.
1: It's very rare. Yeah,
0: very rare. And that's why I want people because people focus sometimes on that. Ten percent of the oh my gosh, if this happened instead of the ninety percent that could happen really well.
1: Well, generally speaking, you get a pretty good idea how much any particular adoption will cost once you get the specifics of the situation.
0: Mm-hmm. And then they can go from there too. Yes. What's the average wait time? People uh, I've been doing a lot of work with the Haiti adoptions and, and, and interviews and um, you know they talk about the wait time for international. When you're talking about a domestic adoption and you do you don't do international, right, Diane? I do not do
1: international. Okay. international
0: okay. So when we're talking about domestic adoption, a child that is born in the United States and ends up staying in the United States in any particular state, what's the average wait time that an, an average family um, could expect to to wait to be matched
1: with a birth mom? I'm going to give you this phenomenally large range, and then I will explain what some of the variables are. So the large range goes from two hours to mm-hmm. two years,
3: mm-hmm. Okay.
1: and differences are what ethnicity the family is looking for, mm-hmm. whether they have a particular sex that they have a very strong preference for, uh, certain budgetary restrictions, mm-hmm. and then what can Characteristics the family themselves have, such as if they had four biological children.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, then we're looking for a birth mother who wants her child to be with a large family. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they, what age they are, if mm-hmm. they are over forty-five, mm-hmm. it tends to take a little bit longer.
0: Mm-hmm. And and how old do you go up to? I mean, what do you think a good age um, for people to say, "Okay, enough is enough"?
1: Well, mm-hmm. I myself think. I mm-hmm. uh, no. <laughs> Yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, you're so funny. Um,
0: uh, I'm I, exhausted at 52 for uh, that, a, a newborn. That, that, yeah. yeah.
1: And, and I was feeling exhausted myself today, mm-hmm. and that's where that number came from. Yeah. Um, but I think it's really hard for people that are over 50 mm-hmm. to anticipate what it's going to be like when they're not as energetic and when this child is 17 and really needing some guidance and not wanting to accept any. Yes, exactly. So, While we don't have a hard and fast rule, and it's really up to the birth mother to decide what's okay, I do suggest to people that if they're looking and they're at that age to recognize it could be a real long shot. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. It can be long. Exactly. And I think and consider an older child. I know that, you know, at Lifetime, we get a lot of older children in and mm-hmm. that might work well to <clears throat> consider an older child for an older couple. And uh, they can start living right away and going on vacations and, and forfeit all the diapers and things like that and still have a lot of joy. Yeah. Do you, do you think that a lot of families procrastinate, Diane, um, on the adoption decision? <clears throat>
1: I think a lot of families do, especially these days, because it seems like next week, next hour, they will come up with another assisted reproduction method that may just be the answer to everything we're Uh hoping for.
0: Yeah. So they're always putting off and putting off, and I've seen people, uh, you know, I've known personal people that have put off for six years adopting uh, always and doing more and spending all their money and resources on infertility and then coming to the adoption table with very little to put forth on something that's probably more than likely going to succeed.
1: Well, I think the problem is not just the money. The problem is you get so depleted emotionally Mm -hmm. by things that you keep hoping and you're, you're giving it that extra push each time because you really want such to happen Mm -hmm. that by the time you get into doing an adoption, you're feeling pretty beat up.
0: Yeah. And I I can totally relate to that from going through infertility too. Um, Do you feel that people should take a break in between infertility and adoption?
1: I have two answers to that in there. One is yes and one is no. Um, I think it's always a good idea to take a break and recharge your batteries. On the other hand, when I was going through this... I didn't have any patience with a break, it wasn't a vacation, it mm-hmm. was It was that I wanted what I wanted and I needed, I felt like I needed to get on with it quickly.
0: Right, and I, I agree, I think, and your personality is similar to mine, is that let's just do it and go forth and move forth. And a lot of, I, I think a lot of our clients are the same way too. You know, um, what is the hardest part of adoption do you see, um, either with birth parents or adoptive parents?
1: I think the hardest part is taking the leap, because when you are having children, whether they're biological or adopted, it's a gigantic leap of faith. Mm and i think for most people the hardest part is really making that commitment to jump and do it i mean i i have seen any number of couples who have turned to each other and said you know we really have a good relationship are we sure we want to do this
0: mm-hmm. you've seen <laughs> that more now I, I i have i have two brothers that have done that um and yeah, yeah uh, and haven't had children and are very happy mhm um so okay. you're, I, th- I think I'm seeing that more now, too, as people go through and they finally say it hasn't happened, happened with infertility and, and they're just happy with their life and they're, they're fearful of what's going to happen. Um, and maybe not everybody is meant to be parents or, or, or wants to be. You know, I mean, everyone Boy. wants to be a parent. I'd love to see them be parents. And I think if they stick to it, they will. But...
1: I think sometimes so you just you don't have any more energy for it,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I can appreciate that, and I think to recognize what's true for you is really the name of the game. Mm-hmm. The second thing for most people that is so hard is the waiting, mm-hmm. um, and as a, one of my favorite clients said to me, if I knew for sure everything was going to go perfectly, I wouldn't mind waiting at all, <laughs> wow. and I w- Yes, how many of us would agree
0: with I that? I agree. I yeah. exactly. If we all knew, and it, that's the, that's the mystery at all. And just have to be prepared and have faith that it's going to happen. And, and, and that's what you have to do mm-hmm. is just have the faith it's going to happen. I find too that uh, it's nice if you can just have the family do what they need to do, and then they turn it over to the doctor professional. They still stay in touch, do what they can, but not fret over it and keep thinking there's something wrong with them. Um, you know, that, uh, that sometimes just that child still percolating someone's womb, you know? Yes, Um, absolutely. And so it's, it takes a while too. And that's, that's, I've seen that too over, you know, the the 23 years I've been doing this. So um, I see the same thing people and and it hasn't changed at all. Uh, And I think we're just, we're in a world right now where we can supersize it and we can drive up and we can, you know, if people could drive up and, and uh, order off a menu and then go to the second window and pick the baby up, they would, Uh, you know, um, it it just, That we're so used to supersizing fast fast food and fast lives, uh, it's real hard to realize that even uh, any pregnancy is going to take nine ten months. Uh, you know, totally.
1: Well, and what makes it hard, I think, for other folks is they've gone through a period where it has not nothing really has worked well, mm-hmm. and so they're saying, okay, this is not the trend, mm-hmm. and they're having to believe and to ideally even get excited. And it's
0: so frightening to them because they're so adverse to having another disappointment. Right. And I think it really is the person, the half glass full or half glass full, uh, empty. Yeah. And yeah. I really find I have some families that will take a, uh, it'll take a loss and they're, they think, well, this is God's will and the next one will be right there. And it is, and have others that uh, if the pre- profile is not done properly, they just, they have a fit. And, uh-huh. um, I think it's, it's, it's hard you know there are some statistics out that, um, that people always want to know about, and uh, there seems to be a high percentage of children that that are adopted uh, that are diagnosed with ADD or ADHD. Um, do you know anything about that?
1: I do, and I think that's a statistic is a valid statistic that there are a high percentage of children who have been brought up and were adopted children who have been diagnosed as ADD, ADHD, mm-hmm. and I think people really do need to recognize that that may be a difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot of the reason for that is these are inheritable traits, ADD, ADHD, mm-hmm. but one of the main aspects of these diagnoses is less impulse control
2: Mm
1: -hmm. and boy unplanned pregnancies and low impulse control sort of go together Mm
0: -hmm. yes right uh, isn't that true? And so it shows you that that just might be the characteristics of uh, people with ADD. Yeah. And, uh, and not bad. Uh, my son has ADD, and um, and it's something that I see a lot of, even just biological children
2: uh, in
1: families, I too. think a lot of biological children have it. I think a lot of children these days have it at a, at a much greater percentage than we've ever seen before. or
0: mm-hmm. diagnosed before, I think, a lot of people have it. And there are a lot of adults that have it. And, and some of the most successful people have ADD. Yes, and and they're very bright and they're brilliant and they get a lot done and um, so I I don't think it can always just be a curse and there's medication or there's homeopathics and there's lifestyle differences so I think that uh, it's something that uh, I don't I'd hate to see families turn away uh, a situation because uh, birth family parent has uh, ADD.
1: Well, I, I would agree, and ADD is a. Hard- tricky diagnosis anyway. The diagnosis mm-hmm. is usually based on whether the medication prescribed is successful and if so mm-hmm. then yes it's an ADD, ADHD. If mm-hmm. not maybe it's something else. So it's a soft diagnosis.
0: Yeah well I think that maybe um, this is something that we're going to see more and more about as learn more and more about uh, as, as even autism too. Um, you work with a lot of birth mothers and adopted parents. What is your typical birth mother profile look like?
1: My typical birth mother profile is someone in their early 20s who may have one other child. Mm -hmm. Typically, she's going to be uh, not married at this point. Mm -hmm. She may have been married. She may not have been married. That varies, and that's Mm -hmm. probably kind of a Mm 50-50. She usually would have... One year of college, mm-hmm. so a high school graduate plus some college courses, mm-hmm. she will not necessarily be on a career path um, and she is not ready to raise a child mm-hmm. and really recognizes that she doesn't have the stability that she thinks this child should have
0: yeah why that uh, that and that surprised a lot of people because they think they're young teens, and they're really not they're in their twenties and early even thirties,
1: yes, yeah, Yes. Uh, what my experience is when I am working with a woman in her teens,
3: mm-hmm.
1: that women in their teens are much less likely to continue on with a placement.
0: Mm-hmm. So they're that higher percentage of the 12 percent. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And unfortunately, many times you see the um, the children later on in coming through foster care and uh, wow. if they're not if the if the grandparents don't step in and help
1: yeah that it's that's a tough one that's mm-hmm. a rock and a hard place kind of decision yeah, it as is things go hard. yeah
0: it's really hard uh, how about uh, profile of a, a birth adopted parents
1: uh, most adopting parents are in their early 40s mm-hmm. and have gone through 2 to 4 years of infertility work mm-hmm. uh, they most, at least one member of the couple is college educated Mm -hmm. often there's advanced degrees Um, they are open to getting education about adoption and once educated seem pretty comfortable with having ongoing contact with the birth mother Mm -hmm. and many of them in fact affirmatively vote for that
3: okay good that's good
0: so they are prepared to have an open relationship with the birth mom. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they're not as fearful because they can they can understand it and
4: I think that's important. People know that, too. Oh, I think
1: it's really important because mm-hmm. I think really then then it,
4: it's focused on what does this child need. If you're starting to explore adoption, Lifetime can help you learn more and find the resources you need. Lifetime has been committed to supporting birth families and helping children for nearly 20 years. They offer guidance and encouragement during and after your pregnancy. At Lifetime, open adoption means you make the choices. Choose the adoption. Adoptive family. Choose how much contact you want and choose how you want the adoption to happen. The choice is up to you. Lifetime is known for their caring and genuine concern for the birth mother's well-being before and after adoption. They're able to provide adoption services to prospective adoptive families and birth parents from all over the nation. And Lifetime provides you with a 24-hour hotline for support and guidance. To find out more information, visit lifetimeadoption.com. Give the gift of your home to a deserving child. Call 800-923-6784. Today, speaking with Diane Michelson, she is a seasoned adoption
0: attorney that has been in the adoption field for 35 years. She's been, uh, she's currently an adoption attorney for some years. She's been an adoption therapist and social worker, and she also received, uh, was recognized uh, by the United States Congress as Angel in Adoption Award, um, honored in 2006. And she is an adoptive mother herself, and she's also been the president of a couple of uh, adoption attorney uh, groups which is uh, key so her information is very valuable to us as listeners as adopted parents and birth parents before we left on break we we're talking about um <clears throat> the statistics and about different profiles but these diane these are important things uh the rights of birth mothers uh you know we hear about Birth mothers have rights, and sometimes grandparents will call and say, "What are my rights and um, and what I know they vary between states, um, but tell us what you can about uh, birth mothers rights and their options for signing and and waiting time
1: okay all right, and it absolutely does vary by state adoption law is controlled by each state individually uh, so the Exception of that is if the child has enough Indian heritage to be considered as a member of a particular Indian tribe, then federal law would control mm-hmm. because of a treaty the United States government has with sovereign Indian nations. Mm-hmm. But. Since that's a smaller percentage of children placed for adoption that fall let's talk about birth parent rights and birth mother rights. Birth mom always has the right not to place a child for adoption, even if she has said she would. And in almost every state, any funds that she may have received, any if any financial assistance that she would have received is considered as a gift or a charitable endeavor to her, not that it's tax deductible, Mm -hmm. but it's It's a gift, and it's not recourse, so Mm -hmm. that if she does change her mind, that money stays. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was so that she would not feel that she basically has sold her right not Mm -hmm. to place her child. Mm -hmm. So she always has the right not to place the baby. She has the right to determine when she is going to be signing a consent to adoption. And depending on what state she is in, most states will allow her to sign a consent to adoption after the baby is born, not before, and usually once she's out of the hospital. Mm-hmm. And then most states also have a revocation period, and that varies from nothing to California has 30 days, for mm-hmm. example.
0: Give examples of some other states, too.
1: Um I'm thinking of Washington state, where actually a birth mother, this is the only state that I know of where the birth mother can actually sign a consent to adoption while still pregnant and then has two or three days after birth. I think it's like to, uh, sev-
0: 72 hours, I think, in, in yes, Washington. Yes, uh-huh.
1: 72 hours to withdraw that, otherwise, mm. that is binding.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, many states, it is binding at signature. Mm-hmm. When, when signed. Um, and Any sometimes, particular state
0: you can think of that is binding at signature?
1: I'm thinking about New Mexico mm-hmm. uh, that must be signed in front of a judge, and as soon as it's signed, it's binding. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, there are there are many, and none of them come to mind right
3: now. That's okay.
0: Um, and because each state changes so much, too. So uh, basically, I mean, most in, in California it's 30 days. Um,
1: well, I will give you this little piece. In California, for example, uh, a birth mother has the right to request that that 30 days be shortened, mm-hmm. and she can sign a waiver of that 30-day period, and many, many people choose to do that because they want to either give a gift to the adopting parents of, here, now you know it's done.
0: And you're not going to change your mind, yes. Exactly.
1: Right, <laughs> or that they themselves need the solidity of knowing that this decision is made and could
0: Mm -hmm. And who does that and how does that happen? I mean, adoptive parents may ask that, or is it really the attorney can ask them and give that option? And ASP, and if you want to explain what ASP is too. um, Check.
1: An ASP in California is a mandated player that's an adoption service provider, and it is someone that has had, I believe, five years of experience in the adoption field, either uh, with a licensed agency or practicing Mm -hmm. adoption. Um, There's very specific requirements for that in the family code section. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the main function of the adoption service provider is as an advocate for the birth parent, Mm -hmm. and... This person will meet with the birth parents, advise them of their rights and responsibilities, let them know that uh, they have the right to have legal counsel and have the adopting parents cover these bills for up to $500.
0: Is that, you know, what's the cost usually? Is it more than that, um, up to $500? It could run up to 800 depending on where they live and how far the ASP travels, right?
1: Oh, for the ASP, yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Typically, it's running about 750 now. Okay. And uh, they will advise the birth parents about the financial aspects. They will take a medical and social history if the birth mother, birth father has not filled one out yet. Um, They can. Provide some counseling, at which point they can charge extra for that, or they can make counseling referrals. And if the birth parents decide not to go forward, they are the birth parent's advocate, and they will work with that birth parent to unwind the situation.
0: Right. So for God forbid, if a birth might change their mind, the ASP is called, and she would be the one, or he would be the one that would be the intermediary um, to um, have the child brought back to the, the birth parent's.
1: Yes. Now okay. if now the ASP also and probably the most important function most of the time is to take the consent from the birth from the placing birth parents and meet with them. So ASP would have met with Placing birth parent prior, 10 days typically prior to signing a consent to adoption and advise them at that time and then 10 days later or after birth uh, to meet with the adopting parent and... get the adopting parent's signature on the adoption placement agreement saying we are accepting of this child and also to meet with the birth parents and get their signature that says we are placing this child with Mr. and Mrs. whoever they are. Mm-hmm. So it's a very specific consent to adoption.
0: And now as far as the birth, we're going to talk about birth father's uh, consent to. Uh, you said placing parent, that can be either the birth mom or birth father or both. Yeah, or both. Okay, so that's good too for people ask about that because sometimes the child's already older and the birth mother has disappeared and mm-hmm. um, different circumstances. And again, that's why you need a seasoned uh, adoption attorney to do your work. Try not to, you know, I tell people all the time, please don't go with your brother-in-law that's due probate that's probate law uh, you know, or a service that does a little bit of adoption but really doesn't know what they're doing because you're going to end up paying more in the long run. This is like doing your own brain surgery. This is a part you do not want to mess around with and that's why I appreciate Diane you be on the show, so um, let's go back to what you're saying. So you're talking about the um, in California, 30 days, and that she can shorten her time. Each state is different, mm-hmm. and uh, it'll determine uh, what when she can sign her rights off. How about birth uh, birth parents, uh, grandparents' rights?
1: Well, grandparents in California don't have any rights on their own. If they wanted to work with, let's say, a birth father, he may <laughs> have some rights, and any rights they would have. Is because he is would allow them then to enter into it. But on their own, they do not have any.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So they need to realize that, and that can be hard. And that's at any age. So if the ch- child, if the, if the, I should tie you, because my youngest birth mom has been 11, uh, if, if you, the child's young, uh, underage, uh, it applies. If you're a birth mother, you're a birth mother if you're pregnant. Isn't that true?
1: That is true. Okay, Although, so. when you really look at the pragmatic aspects of that, it's mm-hmm. kind of difficult because she, she may say. be 11 and deciding she's going to raise this child.
0: And, and, and how is she going to do it? Yeah,
1: She can't really do that on her own no. although okay. she would be eligible for uh, assistance government assistance
0: mm-hmm. in that situation so they're all different and that's what your attorney can help let's talk about um, birth father uh, rights um, how are they terminated and what happens if there's more than one or she can't remember who the birth father is
1: Okay. So each of those is a little bit different, Mm -hmm. so let's jump in. Um, In California, there are – and I'm talking California law because, again, it's specific to each state. Yes. There are two – types of birth fathers and one is considered as a presumed birth father and the other is considered as an alleged birth father and these are terms of art so a presumed birth father by and large and i'm not going to go into every nook and cranny Mm -hmm. of this but by and large is someone who is married to the birth mother or someone who has had the child in his home and has held this child out as his own. So they're
0: living together.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, or might be someone who has done every single thing in his power to what we used to call in the olden days, legitimate this child mm-hmm. Support, and has let mm-hmm. people know that he wants this child and he mm-hmm. might be able to get, it is likely he would be able to get a court order indicating that he is a presumed father. So if
0: he's taken into the doctor's office, or he's, uh, he's provided uh, maternity clothes or food or something.
1: And indicated uh, that he will not agree to an adoption, that he himself wants to parent, has put a, money in the bank as a trust fund mm-hmm. for this child.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of things he has to do then to, to really show his rights then. Yes. And, and, yes. And, and is it true that I have heard 25% of the birth fathers involved with adoption? Have you heard other statistics on that? Um, 25% of birth fathers are involved, only 25% are involved in some degree.
1: Uh, uh, I have not heard that mm -hmm. statistic, but I'm running it through my brain to Mm -hmm. see if I would agree. I would agree that about 25% of birth fathers are involved. Mm -hmm. And out of that, I would say most are in agreement with the plan. Mm -hmm. So involvement does not mean that they are not... Wanting the adoption, yeah. they may well be wanting the adoption and be participating in the placement. Yeah, yeah. So now let's add some more birth fathers into this, and that's the alleged birth father group. Well, wait, sorry, uh, going back to the presumed mm-hmm. birth father group. If a presumed birth father is missing he's just gone, we don't know where he is, but he, we have a man that has that status, then his rights have to be terminated, and that termination is typically going to be by publication, and mm-hmm. it's typically going to be after six months. Mm-hmm. Um, if he wishes to fight the adoption, he has the same rights as the birth mother does.
0: So they start publishing right away, and they do it, then after six months, if they have not heard, he has not come forth, then they go ahead and start pr- processing the adoption? Uh, Thank you.
1: No, typically they're not going to publish until much later. Okay, you're going to let the most of that six month time run. Okay, so after you six
0: months. Okay, that's good yeah. to know.
1: Yes, uh, but if the birth father, who is a presumed birth father, says adoption is fine, he can sign a consent to adoption, which would follow very much the way the birth mother does, or he can also sign what we call a waiver, and in this waiver he says something to the effect of. Uh, the adoption is fine with me I know I am presumed to be the father of this child. I may or may not be the biological father.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then that waiver is the basis for a court termination of his rights.
0: Yeah, and the, again, the adoption attorney attends all this, too, so not to get people concerned they have to do any of this other than just right. to do right. whatever their attorney says to do at the time. So then go so on to alleged. Uh, the
1: alleged category is the catch-all category, and really this is all of the other fathers. This might be the steady boyfriend who does not support. It might be um, a rapist. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So uh, it could be the the date. It could be anybody other than the presumed
2: father. Mm -hmm.
1: So they have a right to notice that there is an adoption taking place, and the notice basically says, you have 30 days from the date of this notice or the birth of the child, whichever is later. Mm-hmm. to file an action in such and such court and to show the court why your rights should not be terminated.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that means the father has the right to bring a paternity action, and at that point he may ask for custody. Mm-hmm.
2: And he has to hire an
0: attorney for that. And
1: um, there are some birth parents that will do that on their own, mm-hmm. and the court may, in fact, award them counsel.
0: Mm-hmm. So it just depends on the situation, the state, and the Yes, court. absolutely.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Um, anything else with alleged birth fathers?
1: Well, yes. Uh, if a, so the, if the alleged birth father does nothing, his rights can be terminated in those 30 days, uh, as we counted before, with no further action from him, and that's a legal mm-hmm. termination. Mm-hmm. Uh, he may also sign a waiver just very, very similar to the one we discussed Mm -hmm. a few moments ago, Mm -hmm. Um, he can sign a consent. And if he signs a consent, it will also be in front of the adoption service provider.
0: That's great. So the ASP can do that also. Yes. Um, and that's good for everyone to learn. And I really believe that education is power, and the more the adoptive parents know about the adoption process, and birth parents do too, the easier it is, the less money they spend and less stress, and uh, they're easier to work with um, oh, in the adoption. Yes. And they have a happier adoption uh, because they have the knowledge of it, and they're not they're not in fear and constantly asking what's happening now and feeling out of control
1: yeah it's hard enough to yeah. not have a ultimate control but yeah. the knowledge really helps
0: yeah and I always tell people that uh have heard me say this many times that the people spend more time on planning their vacation their remodel or their wedding than they do their adoption and uh, <laughs> and that's uh, really really sad um when you think about this as a forever child and you and you aren't learning you know you would never go to a contractor and just give them a check and you never f- figure out what's happening and what kind of adoption you're looking for and, and being flexible in many areas too um so let's go back to this. So we finished up with birth moms, and birth fathers, uh, birth grandparents what's the process for terminating birth parent rights because that's a question that comes up a lot on on how can you terminate that is is through the ASP through what we just talked about anything else we've left out on that on termination for birth fathers or birth parents
1: Um, well through the ASP if they want to sign Mm -hmm. a consent if they want to do nothing Mm -hmm. uh, and again it's going to depend on what category of birth father we're talking about Mm
2: -hmm.
1: but let's go with a presumed birth father And as I said, presumed birth fathers may or may not be the biological father. The biology of the child does Mm -hmm. not determine what their status is. I see. Okay. And that's an important part.
0: Mm -hmm, Very important, too. So So she could have been married to somebody and then had an affair. Uh, yes. So what What uh, both fathers would need to sign?
1: So then the we point? would have two fathers. We would have one alleged, and the alleged may well be the actual biological father, mm-hmm. uh, and the husband. The husband's consent we absolutely need because mm-hmm. legally he is responsible for that child.
0: He's held out as the father, yeah.
1: Even if he's not, mm-hmm. legally because of the marriage, he is, okay. and the alleged father we're going to give notice to, and if the alleged father does nothing, we will be terminating his rights in court. Mm-hmm. If the alleged father wishes to sign a consent or a waiver, we can arrange that. Mm-hmm. If the alleged father wants to contest in that situation, he may or may not be able to.
0: Tell me uh, a little bit about um, a, a f- an unknown father. Um, ah,
1: unknown fathers are, by virtue of their not knowing name or address mm-hmm. or both, are typically going to fall into the alleged birth father category.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Hard to have an unknown presumed. Right. And what we do in a situation like that is birth mother will get interviewed but not only by the AFP, but she will get interviewed by a social worker mm-hmm. who is processing the adoption. The social worker will write a report indicating that she has talked with the birth mother, but the birth mother does not know who the birth father is or refuses to disclose who the birth father
0: is. Mm, What happens in that case?
1: Well, actually, they're treated the same Mm -hmm. most of the time. Mm-hmm. By law, they should be treated the same. Not every judge does this. Though. Mm-hmm. but uh, And what happens is typically the court will waive publication. The court has the right to waive publication. And uh, ter- rights are terminated after what we call a due diligence, showing mm-hmm. that we've really looked for this guy. So if the man's name is Charles Duncan, mm-hmm. but we don't know where Charles Duncan is, and in fact we're not even sure Charles Duncan Duncan is his real name. Mm-hmm. Uh, birth mom met him through oh, a dance club she was going to. Sure. So, what we would do at that point is to the best of our knowledge do a search for Charles Duncan. Mm-hmm. And if she met this man, let's say in Napa, we're going to start there and uh, do an Internet search and perhaps hire a private investigator, typically we do, and report to the court. These are the efforts we made to Mm -hmm. find this person. Uh, We have been unsuccessful. We are requesting that you waive publication and that you terminate his rights based on the social worker's report and the birth mother's declaration under penalty of
0: perjury. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so that's good, and that's uh, that's important for families because they're always asking and birth parents ask that all the time, too.
1: Uh-huh. So, and it may be birth mother knows who it is, but does not wish to disclose. And while the courts do not like that, mm-hmm. because they really want the man to have his full rights, mm-hmm. uh, there is absolutely nothing in the statutes that indicates she must disclose.
0: Mm-hmm. And so see, that's that's good to know, because a lot of women uh, say, "Well, then I'll have to parent," you know, um, mm-hmm. and they just don't want to do that. So that's good to know. Is that just in California, or it's other states as long well, as they're,
1: they're it's absolutely with it. in California, and it's in many other states. Yeah. And And a lot of times in the other states, uh, it will say to anyone who may have an interest in the child that was born to uh, Anna Marie contract Mm -hmm. uh, on or about May 32nd in so-and-so state Mm -hmm. and city. So what I don't like about that is I feel like that may violate her right to confidentiality. Uh, Yes,
0: exactly. Yeah, I I agree, too.
1: Uh, but that's pretty rare
0: okay well I, I think Diane that's really helpful in that particular area too where uh, tell me uh, a little bit about um, one of your favorite stories I, I you know something that you have experienced in so many years of doing adoption work um, that have uh, has touched your heart um, and and stands out in your mind as a, me- a memorable adoption well
1: I think It was one of the first moms I worked with recently who was 22 and was a law student and uh, wanted to do her career, was not ready to parent at all, did not want to involve her family, um, and placed the baby for adoption, and she was an artist also, and she gave the family that she had created during the last five months of her pregnancy. Wow. And she said, these are for you. Um, and they were just from her heart. And she wrote a lovely, lovely letter to them. And the gist of the letter is, I hope you love your baby to death. Or, mm-hmm. uh, not to death, but I hope you love your baby with all of your heart. hmm And she then wrote another letter and she said, I would really so love this if you would give this to the child when the child is older and grown mm, that's so and it was her reasons for mm. placing and why she chose that particular family
0: yeah and that's that's so very important how special
1: oh it was lovely
0: for for everyone involved because it gives her closure it gives the child something for the future and it gives the adopted parents some peace also and a treasure that they'll have forever
1: and she had such a difficult time doing this. It was such a selfless move Yeah. that I was so struck by her courage in doing what she thought was absolutely the right way to do it.
0: Yeah. And it's so nice to work with uh, birth moms that do see that they have it. And, and many birth moms don't have this big regret. They know it's the ra- right thing. They may be sad with it, but they know it's the right thing. Yeah, And they know it's going through... And you
1: you just really have to applaud that kind of stamina and courage and love for the child. Are there any
0: uh, legal requirements for birth mothers to go through counseling before they make an adoption decision?
1: Not in California. Mm -hmm. Other states have it. Although I think if it's mandated counseling it's really difficult because when you make people do things I don't know that they can always get the benefit of what you were trying to do exactly
0: yeah if you're forced to go and do that I think they have to request it and it's always good to have counseling but um, many times women feel like their lives are so busy right now and they really don't want to hash it over with everybody or someone they don't know <laughs>
1: Well, one of the things I do recommend to people is, especially people who feel like I'm quite clear that this is what I want to do, is I understand that you're clear, and I want to make it as painless as possible. Mm -hmm. If you could go in and meet someone that is a counselor, and just spend an hour so that if at any point along the way you are having those bumps Mm -hmm. and hard places, you're at least at that point not having to meet a stranger.
0: That's very true. Yeah, and get that that relationship established, and that's what I like about families meeting face to face the birth parents whenever they can, so that when the time comes of birth or relinquishment, that they are actually a little familiar with them. And even if they do it through Skype or uh, some some other means, but um, save those perks up and, and you know um, travel to meet your birth mother. Um, yeah. I think that's important. It's good to go to her instead of having her travel while she's pregnant too. Sometimes families forget that. And for God's sake, you know, uh, take the time off of work to do that. There's the family leave and, and uh, afterwards and spend some time also um, let's just briefly go over what ICPC is because now with the world of the Internet Diane um, people are adopting across state lines and mm-hmm. we've seen you know to keep child trafficking and kidnapping down um, there are some safeguards in place to keep your adoption safe when you're adopting uh, from another state so if you could explain what an ICPC is to our listeners
1: Sure. ICPC is short for Interstate Compact, Um, and this is a compact between the states that all have agreed that adoptions will be handled uh, with the approval of the administrators from State A and the administrators of state B. So the two states involved are both agreeing that this is, this is child is a good candidate for adoption and meets the requirements in your state for the birth parent, and the birth parent has gotten the safeguards that are necessary. Mm-hmm. So this was a very well-meaning piece of legislation that has evolved to kind of a a lot of paperwork i don't think it says the evolution of it is as good as the original intent
0: and the attorneys do the paperwork correct
1: The attorneys do the paperwork, and it is a lot of paperwork. It is five copies of everything, even in this day and age, and it has background information, social and medical history. Usually it has the consents to adoption. It has a hospital discharge summary. It has the clarity of who is going to be responsible for returning the child to the birth parent in the event that this adoption does not go through. Mm -hmm. It has the birth parent's permission that the adopting parents can take the child to the doctor and the hospital prior to the adoption being completed. Um, And all of those are the good parts of it. And then it has lots of other pieces of paper that don't particularly benefit anyone, but they're just necessary. Mm
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and what is the wait time? And, and every state's different, especially if you hit it on a weekend or a holiday weekend, the baby's born, the adoptive parents fly out or drive out to the, the birth mother state. What's the normal and waiting time? The, wait,
1: the normal waiting time is about a week. Okay. However, I've seen it, I've gotten them approved the same day. Mm-hmm. And I've also suffered with my families when it's taken three weeks.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's important people understand this is very serious. And I remember a a story uh, many years ago where a family did not heed the information and the advice, their attorney and went back to their home state before they had the interstate compact approval. And the judge six months later came back and had them bring back the child to the state because they didn't follow the instructions. So it can be very, very crucial. Um, Hmm. And they were warned not to do it. And they had said, well, we've adopted before. It's not a big thing. No one will know. And just really cocky about it. And I think it really ticked the, the judge off and the attorneys off, and um, and so that's what happened. It was sad it was a special needs child, too. and, and uh,
1: Well, I would advise everyone before they do that, check with your attorney. Uh, there are certain circumstances where it might make sense to go ahead. We have what we call substantial compliance. Everything has been filed, mm-hmm. but the only person that can approve this is out, and there's no one else here, and that person is going to be out for another two weeks.
0: Mm-hmm. On vacation, small small, uh, small yeah. states, yeah. But
1: that that's odd, and that's the rare time. Most mm-hmm. of the time. Uh, the administrators of the interstate compact recognize that this is costing families an arm and a leg right. to not go home, and mm-hmm. they do try to expedite
0: it. And just one uh, one of the parents need to stay, and maybe have another relative come out and stay with that uh, that parent in that state while the other one goes back to work. Correct? That's correct. Yes, as long as there's one, and then they have that support. But I think it's important too. Um, so that's ICCC. Can you uh, represent both birth mothers and birth uh, birth parents, birth mothers, and I mean and uh, adopt. Yes. Um,
1: In California, one can do that. It's not considered wonderful practice, and the reason for that is when you are representing multiple parties in the same situation, everybody is signing a waiver of their confidentiality. So the confidentiality, instead of going from adoptive parent to attorney and back, Mm -hmm. goes adoptive parent, birth parent, attorney. Mm -hmm. So anything that anybody says to the attorney, the attorney is free to disclose and, in fact, almost has a duty to disclose upon Mm -hmm. to the other party. Mm -hmm. So it can happen, but it's more rare. Mm -hmm. And if it's going to happen, everybody needs to sign a waiver of this dual representation, is what it's called, Mm -hmm. and understand that if there's a conflict, the attorney must get out from representing everyone and take a neutral position. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. What recommendations do you give to uh, hopeful adoptive parents listening um, to this program, or, or birth parents? I want to address both of them before we close.
1: I tell them to hold in their mind what they want mm-hmm. to to work with that to work with that positive energy. If they are someone who gets solace and relief from prayer, then then use that. Mm-hmm. If they get it from meditation, use that. If they get it from going to the gym, use that. But hold in their mind what they want and that it's all doable. Mm-hmm. It's all doable. Mm-hmm. And it is your effort and your intention that helps make this happen.
4: Right.
0: I think that's very good advice, too. Diane, let's give out your website one more time and also a phone number where people can reach you. A Diane Michelson an attorney uh, in California, but she does work across state lines, too. Uh, if you could give out your website and your phone number, that'd be super.
1: Yes, my phone number is 800. 800- 877-1880. Okay. My website is familyformation, one word, dot com.
0: Okay. Familyformation.com. Diane, it's been a pleasure to have you on Let's Talk Adoption. I really appreciate um, your, your knowledge and um, all the years and the work you've done to bring families together and uh, I hope this and I'm sure it will help many, many people in, in their adoption and hopefully a smoother process. Um,
1: Thank you, Marty. It was a pleasure speaking with you.
0: Thank you so much.
1: All right. Bye. bye -bye now. Thank you for joining us for Let's Talk Adoption presented
0: by Lifetime Adoption. For more information about any of the topics you've heard today, please visit lifetimeadoption.com or call or text 1-800-923-6784. That's
1: 1-800-9ADOPT4.